Podgeoholic. Another podcast out of <laughs> Phoenix. That's right. Oh, oh man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Gotta love classic rock. I mean, you cannot go wrong with classic rock. Nope. Nope. Never. Never. Uh, episode 190. 190. It has been forever and a day. Uh, it does feel like it has been quite a long time. Like, I almost forgot what you look like. Really? Yeah. I Although, mean, my haircut hasn't changed since 2004, so I don't know. Speaking that's of matter. your hair, um, or lack thereof, uh-huh. I listened to this week's episode today, this morning, which is um, Dennis Rose. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah, if yeah. you remember, we talked about yeah. your hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you said that you had trimmed and everything. I'm yeah. like, nope, there's some stubble there. Yeah. And then, I, you know. I, I cut my hair this morning. Are you going to say the same thing? <laughs> no. It look, so you don't go all the way to the skin. You leave a little bit of stubble there. I mean, it's like a, it, it's, it's a no guard. It's like the, oh, okay. the rate, you know, it's not a straight yeah. razor. Gotcha. Because I don't like, that gives it too shiny. And then, uh, you, you don't know, want people, that. It's, yeah, you, gotta, you don't want that. It, there's a certain level of dullness that yeah. you need to create. And then that requires a whole nother level of maintenance that I'm yeah. sure you don't oh, want to yeah. deal with. No, 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 no. Keep, keep it rough. Yep. couple announcements before we get going here. All right. Um, RE Plus. Oh, yeah. Is a conference in Vegas that we're heading to tomorrow, tomorrow. early. <laughs> Bright and early. Bright and right? early. We'll be there for the next three days. 27,000 attendees at this conference. I did not realize it was that big. It is massive. I mean, I thought when they had... I had to combine two very large casinos to house everybody. I, that may have given us some clue, but yeah, that is massive. I mean, yeah. how, how big is Trimble when we went? That was the biggest. Oh, gosh. I don't know what that was. Like, was it 10,000? I don't even think it was 10,000. 8,000, maybe? like 25,000. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. 6,000. Yeah, 6, our, 6, our guest is, is telling us 6,000. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be huge. Um, it's going to be a little bit different for us. I mean, renewable energy. Um, you know, we work in that arena, mm-hmm. so we can talk intelligently, hopefully. But uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be awesome. I'm literally looking forward to meeting those folks. I already got a bunch of interviews lined up for the next few days. So yeah, it's yeah, going to be great. Be, it should be a lot of fun. Energio. Got him announced one small correction. Okay. First of all, we something about our code. We will still be there. Okay. We will still be there. (laughs) I I hope so. The code, the code I have been announcing is incorrect. Okay. That's the problem. So the code is IG23. Uh I had that part right. G E H O L I C S. G Holics. There's no. G O is G Holic. So I G 23 dash G E H O L I C S. Did you misspell something that you sent them? No, no, they just, I don't know. Maybe they have a limited number of characters for that last part or something. They had to take something out. They took out that O. That's a very critical O. It, well, I, one would think. <laughs> Period of them, so it doesn't make a difference. Uh, it's, uh, say, say it again. IG. IG 2023. 20, nope, just 23. IG, IG 23. IG 23-G-E-H-O-L-I-C-S. Jaholics. Yes. Got it. Yes, and uh, again, I still don't know what it gets you. Uh, but uh, but if you spell it right, it might actually get you something now. Maybe a one-day pass. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Um, but still, give it a shot. I'm sure there's some benefit there. Maybe a coffee yeah. mug or something. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. One other announcement. Uh, Coral Sperling was the winner of the Women's Surveyors oh, yeah, Conference right. Registration Scholarship. Yeah. She uh, she sent in a, a great 
essay, for lack of a better word. Do they even do essays anymore? Yeah, of course they do. Like kids have to do essays? Yes. Oh, okay. So it was a bit of an essay, um, you know, talking about inclusion and diversity in the survey profession. It was, it was very authentic. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was all, yeah, it was and great. just so everybody knows, we took all the... Um, all, all the submissions, I guess, and we had a independent person completely outside mm-hmm. of the geospatial world read all of them, and she selected Coral. That's great. Yep. Cool stuff. Yeah. What's new? Oh man, it's been busy. We're in the we're in the heat of it. I'll talk. Uh, our trivia tonight is about land development. And, oh wow. Okay. Um, cool. And mainly because we do a lot of land development adjacent things mm-hmm. that, that's starting to heat up a lot going on uh just a lot going on yeah. um you know personally uh took uh evelyn to basketball practice oh, on basketball. saturday nice. yeah she did awesome. soccer she is into basketball and she did awesome i thought you were gonna say she did suck thank god you said soccer uh <laughs> yeah no she sucked at soccer that that was not no, great not not great hey. at all but basketball man she was in it she's not awesome. scared she scored baskets that's big i paid her a dollar a basket so nice. she had four I probably shouldn't have told her that ahead of time because I think she cheated a little bit. But anyway, a yeah. lot, lot of fun, yep. really cool stuff. They, the, 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 it's a local Arcadia thing, and they bring in, like, the high school team, and then the high school team shows, mm. like, t- train. At the, and I just think the little girls seeing big, tall girls doing the stuff is really – because they just – they can now picture themselves doing it, and I thought that was a really good thing. Yeah, and you're teaching her to be motivated by money. I mean – Yes, yes, that is exactly That's correct. That's great. Yeah. I mean, she did just blow it on the video game of the place we went to for lunch that same afternoon, but That's still. funny. Life lessons by dad, what yep. can I say? What about you, man? What's new? Uh, fantasy football. Oh, yeah, yeah. What yeah. a crazy weekend for fantasy football. Oh, I, 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 did <laughs> not do, I did not do well yesterday. It was, was so bad. bad. It was so All, bad. I mean, it was a very low scoring week mm-hmm. in general. Yep. But yeah, it was historically bad. But if you had like one or two players, you won. Like who yeah. was it? Uh, Tyreek Tyree Hill. Hill had like yeah. in my league like forty four yeah. points or something yeah. like Tyreek that. Tyreek and Tua killed it. Everyone else. Yeah. I had Calvin Ridley and still lost because the guy had Tyreek and Tua. Yep. Yep. And the uh, the Dallas defense. Oh yeah. Monster. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Monster yeah. yeah. Won a lot of people where they had. Completely written it off, and yep. then all of a sudden they're back in it. Yeah, yeah, a crazy weekend. But I think that's the way it normally goes. You don't know what you got. It'll level out. It'll yep. all the the trends are the trends. So yep, yep. So yeah, that's that's about it. I'm just happy NFL season and college football for that matter. Just feels started. like life is back to normal. Like yep. the usual. I wake up on the weekends and watch football the entire time, mm. and that just seems like the normal right place to be. And this is the time of year you put on about 15 pounds. Oh, good. Well, I'm ahead. <laughs> I am. Uh, we are going to meet that goal this year. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I've, I've been studying. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, tell us about that opening number. Oh, man. Uh, well, probably about half of our listeners know those these guys very well. The other half don't. <laughs> the older uh, half. <laughs> this is a band called Boston. The song is Rock and Roll Band. Boston classic American rock band formed in, guess what? Boston, Massachusetts like in 1976. It. Makes sense. Known for its melodic rock sound characterized by lush vocal harmonies, intricate guitar work, and a polished production style. Mm. I say that all the time. Mm-hmm. Boston's debut album, self-titled Boston, released in 1976, remains one of the best-selling debut albums in music history, and it helped define the classic rock sound of the late 1970s. Mm. Great stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I can say, aging myself, that I have seen Boston before. Oh, uh, that was I was going to ask yep. that. Alpine Valley in Wisconsin, just over the border. 
So like when I was in high school, you know, you drove, I was in, grew up in Chicago, so you drove like an hour north in your, your Wisconsin, where the drinking age was 18, by the way. Oh, okay. Which was very convenient. Yeah. When you're a senior in high school and you can go over the border and drink, it's not, that doesn't sound dangerous. That's, uh, I, thought, that's, I thought that was the Canadian border you could do that, but, but back then like, it was in Wisconsin. <laughs> back in those days, yeah, you could go into Wisconsin at 18 and drink. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I and think then prohibition happened, <laughs> and then it, it all yes. caught up with you. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. All right. We are in the Mentoring Mondays studio this week. Uh, first of all, to find Mentoring Mondays, go to mentoringmondays.xyz. Uh, a little thing that our good friend Trent Keenan has started a few years ago, and it is awesome. And Starting he's, back he's, up again. Yeah, he's back from a summer break. Summer right? break yeah. over, although not for Trent. I just freaking texted him today, and he's in Disneyland. Again. <sighs> that sounds about right. I'm like, why don't you have an office in Disneyland? Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, it really does. It really would, right? It's like he's there all the time. If he's not running a business, he's in Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, but what we a know life. him well. He, he, that business runs itself. he got a lot <laughs> of people much does at this point. A lot of good so. people, absolutely. But uh, regardless, if you're not familiar with Mentoring Monday, you should definitely check it out. Tons of good content there. Mm-hmm. Um, Airworks, somewhat random trivia. Yes. Producer Sean? Uh, I, I chose a uh, topic about land development. Uh, just trying to find just some some general nuggets about the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our listeners, and definitely we are uh, heavily immersed in, in, in that. Looking uh, so. forward to this. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the market size for the land development industry is $12.4 billion, hmm. um, and which has declined 2% per year on average from 2017 to this year. Declined? Declined, yes. Interesting. Uh, it ranks 34th in the all construction industries. And get this, the land development industry is the 498th largest industry in the United States. 498th. Yes. So there's 497 industries larger. There are 33 larger construction industries. Wow. If you can think about that. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And, and the market size has declined in the U.S. faster than the economy overall. Which makes sense. That makes Usually sense. the land development is, industry mm-hmm. is, is, is ahead or you know, sure. is the leading indicator behind. Yep. Um, 17,987 land development employees in the United States. That's down 5.7% hmm. in 2023. Uh, the largest I- I- in the U.S. is in Texas, 1,700 businesses. And then in Cal- then California, 1,600. And then Florida, 1,200. Hmm. They are the most, th- those are the three states with the most land development businesses. Uh, in general, I pulled a couple other things about land. Uh, Maricopa County, right where we're at, mm. added 270 square miles of development land. That's the most in the country. When? Added in well, the last five years. Okay. Yeah. And this is recent. <coughs> okay. Uh, and metropolitan areas in East Texas accounted for half of the top 20 counties in new land development. Wow. And then one other thing I wanted to go through just as a kind of a perspective, but uh, I think this is from earlier, maybe about five years ago. Yeah, 2018. So uh, the United States has a land area just under 2.3 billion acres. Okay. Uh, Of that, the largest percentage is grassland, pasture, and rangeland, which is 29%. Uh, Forest use land is 28%. Cropland at seventeen percent. Special uses like parks and wildlife areas are fourteen percent. Miscellaneous stuff like tundra and wetlands and unproductive woodlands that's nine percent. And urban areas, three percent. 
That is mind blowing. Isn't that crazy? Yes, that really is. <laughs> I gotta let that one sink in. Yeah, all that, crazy. all the stuff about yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm pretty much speechless after that. But yeah, if you look at the trends in land development since mm-hmm. 2017, it's sure. been down ever since. Interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, the Advanced Genetic Survey's Weekly Words of Wisdom. <clears throat> this is a, I love this guy. Uh, here we go. Happiness does not come from a job. Mm. It comes from knowing what you truly value and behaving in a way that's consistent with those beliefs. Many people today resent the suggestion that they're in charge of the way they feel. Those people are mistaken. This, that was a big lesson I learned several hundred times before it stuck. What you do, who you're with, and how you feel about the world around you is completely up to you. Mike, Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe, oh. Yep. Still trying to get him on the show, as a matter of fact. Uh, I, it's not with, it's not without lack of effort. No, I ping him all the free. I'm, I'm a stalker at this point. Yeah. I ping him all the time on Instagram. Yeah. Like, he probably didn't even read his own Instagram. No, you know? you're going to get a letter. You're getting all excited, and it's going to be a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to get about a dozen of those, actually. Right. All right, let's get on with this. Let's loop our guest into this. Of course, this week's guest is sponsored by XYHT Magazine. That's we right. might be seeing them at RE+. Plus. Quite I, possibly. If I, not, maybe Energio. Would not be surprised. We'll catch up there. with those boys for sure. But we have uh, Randy Tompkins with us this afternoon. And first of all, I got to mention that Randy, if you remember, was the winner of our 2000th member of our LinkedIn group. Oh yeah, that's right. We had that contest. So we mm-hmm. flew Randy out here from Florida and he's in studio. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Since we made that investment, we got to make sure we like squeeze him for every bit of information possible, right? I don't know if he's ready for that. But we'll find we'll out. Find a little out. bit about him. Born in Puerto Rico. Uh, grew up in Southwest Arkansas, home of Bill Clinton. I'm sure the Cigar market there is strong, right? Uh, attended University of Florida, where he achieved a BS in geomatics. Hobbies include fishing, nature outdoors, and woodworking. Currently the federal survey manager for DRMP, and he's passionate about solving problems in the surveying industry, hiring great talent, and being a good mentor. He's right up our alley. Oh, man. You check all the boxes, Randy. Absolutely. Randy, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the invite. Oh, yeah. gosh. This is awesome. Happy to have you. This is awesome. I wish you lived a little closer, but um, <laughs> Florida it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, you know what? I did not come up with a Trimble Pro Point icebreaker this You week. didn't? No. So let's just go with an old school You're one. You're going to recycle one? I'm going to recycle one that we used to use back in the day. If you had to eat one of the three following sandwiches for the rest of your life, Ooh. what would it be? Peanut butter and jelly, sloppy joe, or hot dog? Sloppy joe. Oh, yes. I love this guy. Sloppy joe is my favorite. I could live on sloppy joes. Did you just throw a hot dog in as a sandwich? Yeah. Okay. Technically, uh, I think he's right. I think it's oh, right. Oh, yeah, this is debatable. Uh, however, I would go hot dog. You would go hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> yeah hot dog's a tough one, but I mean, Sloppy Joe's. Anytime uh, Megan asks me, what do you want for dinner? I, every time, Sloppy Joe's. That's what I say. She's yeah. like, oh, do we have to have the bun? I'm like, well, that's part of it, you know? You got to have the bun. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't tell you. Randy, when is the last time you had Sloppy Joe's? Well, my wife is trying to make me eat more healthy right now. Which is the opposite of everything that's involved with Sloppy, sloppy Joe's. Joe's. True. But when I did make Sloppy Joe's, because I love cooking, I'd like let it simmer like an hour. So Ooh. it was not a quick meal. Oh. No. It was a long, slow simmer. Yeah. yeah. I always remember it as the quick meal of uh, uh, 
cook, cook the ground beef, throw the sauce in, slap it on some bread, and there you go. Well, it, it is kind of a quick meal, but it's also one of those things where the next day is so much better. Agreed. Agreed. So much better. Um, I, Megan and I frequent uh, a local tavern called Shocker. Uh, CJ Tally's, just hole in the wall bar, right? And I talked them into doing Slappy Joe Night. So like every Wednesday would be Slappy Joe night, and people do you go would, to do you, do you go there every Wednesday and get Slappy Joes? Well, we used to, we used to, not doing it anymore, not doing mm. anymore. But we did. But they're, but they're kind of pissed about having <laughs> Slappy Joe night still. Well, did their sales go up? They did, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it worked out really, really well for them. Slappy Joe night. Mm. Um, all right, so Randy, you were born in Puerto Rico. Yes. So this sounds like a military thing. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force. Cool. And how did you end up in Arkansas? Both my parents were from there, so okay. my dad was active duty in the Air Force, and then he went TDY um, Okinawa, and then my mom and I went back home, Okay, and then pretty much grew up there in, in Hope, Arkansas, um, until, uh, until, yeah. until, I'm, until, I'm sorry, uh, and then I moved to Florida in 87. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And you went to college in Florida? I did. I did. With a, a degree in geomatics. Yeah, from the That's University cool. of Florida. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go yeah. Gators. How are they looking okay. this year? Are they, are they looking okay or no? No. No. no not no. so much. Not this. They lost that quarterback, right? Wasn't no. like that Robinson kid? Uh, no. Is that his name? Yeah, Anthony Richardson. Richardson. They went to uh, Indy? Yeah, and he actually looked, uh, looked, looked okay. Looked, looked okay yesterday. Because didn't he only play like in 14 college games or something like that? It was like a really yeah. small number, and then he got drafted by the uh, by the Colts. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so, yes, go Gators. If Dr. Nick was here, he would be over the topic. Oh, yeah, Nick's a Gator. He's too, a Gator right? himself. Yeah. Yep. GIS that, guy. Survey school in the country. It uh, Arguably. So I've heard. Yes, absolutely. Um, so speaking of that, how did you like, how, what made you go to college for surveying? How did you even get, how did you even know about it? Um, so I'm kind of analytical. And then um, I was working in a golf resort, in a Marriott golf resort as a bellman. And I started getting tired of working for tips. And I'm like, I got to do something better. And then I started doing research. I wanted to do work outside. I wanted technology. I wanted something I could make a decent living in. And just kind of looking at some stuff and surveying kind of popped up. I'm like, what the hell is that? You know? And then probably two months later, the Florida Surveying and Mapping Society had their conference at our resort. Uh, and I checked in. I checked in the society president that year. Yeah. This was like in 93, I think. And I'm like, holy crap. And then, you know, they had the exhibit hall, and I walked through that and talked to a couple of people. I'm like, I think I can do this. Did you change before you went into the exhibit hall, or did you just roll with the bellmen? I just rolled with it. (laughs) Okay, cool. I was was working, guys. (laughs) Yeah, so he was overdressed, basically. Okay, got it, got it. And then spring of 96, I was enrolled in, in the geomatics program at UF. Wow, that's crazy. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> I love uh, all these origin stories that we get. Absolutely. And um, so you knew right away then? Like once you, so did you have experience surveying before you went to college then? Zero. No way. Zero. Like n- no exposure to the industry whatsoever. Wow, interesting. But So you I committed, needed, you just went, yeah. I'm doing this. Yeah. Originally in high school, I was like, I wanted to be like a aeron- astronautical engineer. Sure. And... You know, I had the mindset, but I didn't have the discipline right out of high school yeah. to be able to, you know, mm. like, um, like really, I went out of, out of high school, I graduated and I got a scholarship to the University of Arkansas. Okay. They put me in mechanical engineering and huh. the first thing they did was, you know, like 
Calc one, mm-hmm. you know, no intro to Calc, no anything like that. It was yeah. just straight in, yep. you know, chemistry class with 750 people. Mm-hmm. It was bigger than my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a little overwhelming. Yeah. And, and then, so I, I got out of school for a while and then I figured out like, okay, I need to do this. Yeah. And uh, with the technical stuff and all the other stuff, it's just been great. That awesome. is cool. Uh, calculus is the reason I was an engineer. Oh, really? Yeah. I started out in civil engineering. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's my calculus this is so dumb. I need like real math that makes sense. Uh, I, I, I took it in high school. It was like, it clicked for me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why but, you're uh, an engineer. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah, that was, uh, it, it, that, that spoke my language. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense now. Um, <laughs> so talk about life at DRMP. I don't know much about the company. Tell us about the company and, uh, you know, what you love about it, what you love about your job. Sure. So the firm has been around for about 80, 48 years or so. And it was formed by four guys uh, back in the late 70s. Um, you know, different disciplines, a surveyor, a civil engineer, a structural guy, and maybe an environmental guy. I'm not really sure. But they came together to form a company to kind of do their whole market. Um, overall, the firm's been in the DOT market um, most of the time. Uh, probably three-fourths of our revenue is, mm-hmm. is DOT-related. Yep. Florida, North Carolina, um, Georgia, South Carolina. Mm. Um, and then six years ago, I came on board, and I was asked to help bring on, you know, develop the federal side mm. of, of things because it was a very small niche. You know, their focus was that, but they knew they couldn't stay just – you can't have one client. Right. Oh, yeah. So I've uh, been doing that and been pretty successful at that. Yeah, I think you mentioned in your bio that you provided that just this past year you won a couple of contracts that were, were like the type of contracts you've been chasing for a number of years. Yes, because uh, in the federal market, you know, contracts, survey contracts aren't very common. Yeah. I mean, there are very few and far between. Most standalone survey contracts are with the Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that depends on what districts you are. A lot of the ones in the Northeast, they have their own survey department. So they mm-hmm. might even have a survey contract, but it might not even <coughs> make a lot of work out of it. Yeah. And then, but most of the other stuff is primarily an engineering contract where they have to find an engineer. I mean, I find a surveyor sure. to be part of the team. Yeah. So that's just been tough. But yes, we were selected for um, for um, Jacksonville District Corps of Engineers cool. contract. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And how long from, uh, from idea of it would be really good if we got this contract and how long does it take to, I mean, not to say that it's automatic, but what's the, what's the. The, the burn cycle on that, or how long does it take to get from idea to contract? So when DRMP decided to start pursuing federal and we hired a um, retired Lieutenant Colonel from the air force director of our federal group. And the, the plan was five years mm. before we got a f- federal contract and it turned out to be about six. Mm. And so I would say four to six years mm. is going to be your lead time. So what are the challenges? Like, why does it take that long to, to finally get awarded a contract? Um, the challenges are, first of all, building up a resume with that kind mm-hmm. of work. I mean, I mean, if you're going to go with, you know, if you're doing DOT type work, you know, maybe you're, you know, the Federal Highway Administration or the National Park Service, which has more roads than any other federal agency, mm-hmm. right, through all the national parks and the, and the out west and all the forest and stuff. Um, but... Other than that, you know, a lot of it's DOD-based. Well, there's, there's two. There's DOD-based, uh, Department of Defense, meaning, you know, Navy, Air Force, Marines, that type of stuff. And then there are Corps of Engineers, which can be either military-based, like supporting some Air Force bases or whatever, or 
civilian based. Like so, the Jacksonville district in Jacksonville, um, they're a civilian based, so they deal with Everglades, <coughs> Florida beaches, Puerto Rico, all that stuff like that. Yeah. It's all civilian based. But building up a resume, you know, trying to find an engineer who's willing to bring on someone without any experience, mm-hmm. building up a resume, building that up, it mm-hmm. takes a while. Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned the Everglades and some uh, surveyors in Florida have some unique challenges. I follow a number of them, like on Instagram and that type thing, and they're surveying in the swamps and. Yeah, but it's all flat. I mean, it's all easy. Other yeah, but there's the alligators. That makes it harder. There's alligators. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's the one. Uh, that's all. Only reason I need not to survey in Florida, alligators. Oh, they're nice. <laughs> there's only one time a year you need to worry about it. Seriously? Yeah, that's right after the eggs have hatched. Huh. You know, interesting. And the. And the Eggs are, are, you know, you got baby gators running around and moms. And, and moms. Oh, protective yeah. or something. Right. right. It's the same thing with bears out here, not the egg part, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Bears right. are only aggressive when spring it's time. springtime. Yeah. But typically, you know, when you're in the swamp, it's just like you're anywhere. You're not making, you're not quiet. You know, like you're not hunting and stalking, right? Sure. You're, you're out there banging around, your machetes flying around, cutting the bushes and stuff out of the way. And, you know, you're just making noise and they yeah. usually just scoot. We're so spoiled in here, surveying here in Arizona. Well, that and we don't have natural disasters that they have. <laughs> no. I did think it was funny where we had a hurricane that kind of came through, like very rarely uh, came yeah, up. Yeah. The, and then we were, everyone was freaking out. And yeah. that we thought it was going to be all this rain. And anyway, California did get a lot of rain. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. here in Phoenix, it, ter- it <coughs> we thought it was going to be something and it turned out to be like a dud. Yeah. And then like two weeks later. You know, a Category 4 rips through Florida, and it's just like, all right, these guys will show you how it's done, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> they, they know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about serving. I know it's something you're passionate about, you know, talk, passionate about mentoring and, and building the profession, and, you know, we've identified on this show, I don't know, at least two dozen times, the challenges that we have, you know, an aging profession, of course, um, and just getting younger folks interested in the profession as a whole. Um, talk about that just a little bit. Like, what are some of the things that you guys are doing in Florida that you see making an impact? I mean, sure. in fact, what, one thing I do want to mention, though, like you actually have degreed survey programs in Florida. We have two. Yeah. So Arizona, we don't have we don't have any college. No, I think you have, or ASU in their construction program does have one survey class, but there's no survey know, program, two-year, four-year, whatever, in Arizona. So you do have an advantage, per se, of actually having survey programs in Florida that you can direct, you know, kids to. Yeah, but in Florida, you're also required to have a bachelor's degree yeah. where you can be licensed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And South Carolina is the same. Uh, obviously, it's hit or miss with depending on what state you're in. Yep. Um, Let me stop you right there. Go right ahead. Do you agree with that? Uh, 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah. The, um, there's just... Too many little things out there. I mean, not little things. Our industry has progressed. You know, we're not pulling a chain and reading a compass to the nearest minute or nearest degree. You know, that that industry's a long time ago. Yep. And a lot of people think they can pick up a black box and go, oh, I can survey, right? And I've had a guy who goes, that's really expensive. I can take my phone out there and shoot all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you go right ahead. Let's see if you can get more than a 1,000 shots a day. You know, it'll take him. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's like. Mm-hmm. there's a price to the profession and just, but anyway, I was going to say that, uh, so in Florida we have right now about 1,950 licensed surveyors with a Florida zip code. Okay. And it's about 2,400 licensed for the whole Got state. It. Yep. 
uh, two years ago, it was 1,995. Hmm. So we went down about 45 licensed surveyors. However, just like everybody else, mm-hmm. our average age is like 59.8 years old. Yep. So we have about, we have less than 500 surveyors under the age of 50. So, um, but so that's a challenge. But we do have two surveying programs. Uh, one's the University of Florida and the other's uh, Florida Atlantic University. And they both have about 75 to 80 undergraduates in the program. Really? So they're mm-hmm. graduating about 35 to 40 mm-hmm. students each per year. So we're looking at about 80 graduates a year right now, which is great. And I think that really helps also getting uh, women into the program, uh, into the surveying, because if you're exposed to it in college, right, it's a totally different <coughs> experience than being drug out in the field, you know, and it's very manual labor, the field. And it's, that tends to be, I think, a, personally a, a put off to women. Sure. Uh, but I think it's a good thing. There's more, more and more women industry but how are kids finding out about this about these programs is it happening in, in high school in florida yes and no we're working on it and a matter of fact the university of florida just got a grant uh from the state legislature and they're going to actually be having a full-time person sort of this recruiting mm. type person that's going to go into the high schools that's a great idea and get out there and <coughs> legislative funding and it's a permanent position too oh okay yeah so it's not a one-time thing because we both that's know, huge right yeah, it's going to be huge. How did that? How did that happen? I, mean, I, I know they didn't just sit around and decide. Someone had to lobby, or someone had to give these guys the idea, right? Yeah, and we've been working on it a while, and I think we just finally found a few really good friends in the legislature who sort of recognized what was going on, and 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 see the need. Because um, in Florida, you obviously have uh, there's a very powerful agriculture group. Mm-hmm. Like Florida has like the third largest cattle industry in the country. Who knew? Exactly. I am learning so much today. Right. So between that group and you know the and the um, and the citrus group and stuff, there's a lot of land issues and and farmers are traditionally you know have a very high appreciation of surveying. So we were able to help and 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 be able to get that going. And so it's looking good. It's looking good. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, some of the concerns that have been brought up on the show over the course of the last four years, uh, as it pertains to like a four year degree is that it actually, and, and maybe the numbers you just shared um, defeat this theory, but it actually um, makes it more difficult for folks to become licensed surveyors. So Agreed. That, that doesn't help our numbers. If anything, it, you know, hurts them. Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. And the other concern that has come up um, is can these college programs keep up with the technology? Because the technology is advancing at such a rapid pace and, you know, adjusting a curriculum is like steering a battleship, basically. Yeah, but... Do you see that as, yeah, a, as a challenge or no? Not as much because technology, I mean, they don't teach you how to run a Trimble data collector. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I mean, Trimble has donated some equipment and Leica has donated equipment. And other folks, you know, come in and done that. But the technology in and of itself, the black boxes... They don't teach that. They teach the theory behind it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, longhand math. I remember one of my equations or homework I had to do was take a one epic uh, GPS signal and work it out longhand and determine my position. Mm. And 
granted, I don't do that every day. You guys don't do that every day, right? But Sean could do it. <laughs> I'm sure he could. He's, he's a math whiz, right? But he's not going to do it in three seconds either. So I mean, uh, you I, don't know Sean. You know, I think it took me three or four hours or whatever. And then, of course, you have to back check everything. But anyway, yeah. it's good experience to kind of really understand what's going on and how that stuff's working. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the entire in- engineering industry is having challenges with bringing people in. So they're not looking at, you know, not requiring uh, an engineering degree for civil engineers. Um, It's surveying is way more than going out and and surveying a quarter acre lot that's platted in the subdivision. Yeah. That is such a small portion of what's out there. Hey, Kent, real quick, let's talk about extreme aerial productions. Let's do that. Also known as EAP, they are passionate about capturing the perfect shot. Founded in 2014, Extreme Aerial Productions is a professional aerial drone, video, and photography company based right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. From the ground to the air, they capture it all from scanning to BIM, from topo to design. They've got you covered. Uh, Yeah, they really do. They work in all 50 states are FAA approved for commercial drone operations and backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. They have the highest grade drone equipment available, meaning their clients receive the most professional photography and videos. And I don't think I'm making this up, but if you book more than one flight, you'll actually get a date with the one and only Mark Taylor. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) To find out more, go to ExtremeAerialProductions.com. Do you think... I'm playing devil's advocate. Go right Do you think that if you didn't have a four-year degree yeah, and if you surveyed in a state like mm-hmm. Arizona mm-hmm. where there is no degree requirement. Mm-hmm. And there's no school or no university in the state that offers one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think you'd think differently about it? And I know that's hard because it's a very, you know, I don't know. That's a, I mean, it's hard for you to answer that I, question, I, I'm sure. I, I think it raises the profession to the level it should be. Sure. Because... Mm-hmm. Technically, the legal description of a, a profession, according to the United States Supreme Court, mm-hmm. is you must have a four-year degree. So, and that's been one of the, the facets. Yep. So, yep. technically, if you are not don't have a four-year degree, you're not a profession mm. in the eyes of the Ooh. United States. And I love that because there is that argument, is serving a trade or a profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I know where you stand, mm-hmm. um, and, and rightfully so. I don't disagree with you. But I can also see the other side of it where it can be viewed as a trade. No, there's definitely some trade aspects, like on the field side and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you could even make the argument on like learning the CAD technician side and bringing somebody in. That's kind of the, sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not. Yeah, it's it's definitely portions of it. I don't well, I do not disagree with that. Yeah, at all. Yeah, but I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, in Arizona, surveying is only required. I'm sorry, a PLS is only required for a boundary survey. Can engineers do topographic? Engineers can do topos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. But not boundaries. Yep. Not in Florida. I mean, it's all the photogrammetry is, is you have to have a, be a a licensed surveyor as well. Mm -hmm. In South Carolina, they have a license for GIS surveyor. See, and I I love that. I just wish that we could have a, uh, I guess a, a, a national requirement. I'm, don't know if that will ever happen, at least not in my lifetime, and maybe it's not even feasible. But to have a state like Florida, who's got their shit together, basically, and a state like Arizona that doesn't, doesn't have their shit together, well, you know? 
but be aware, you know, in Florida, we have our own challenges. We just had a legislature that was in, um, uh, in the House of Representatives for, I think, six years or eight years. And every year she introduced a bill to deregulate surveying. Yep. And mm. it was a challenge for us every year. Uh, but luckily, um, the Florida Surveying and Mapping Society, we have a, um, a lobbyist on retainer. Mm. And That's we huge. recognize that. And uh, that was decided yep. back in, I believe, the 90s, maybe the 80s. And they raised our membership rates up enough to where a certain percent goes to cover mm. that annual fee. Yeah. And well, it's huge. Yeah. There's also huge. like two dozen public universities in Florida and there's like three here in Arizona. Sure. I mean, I think there's, there's some of that component as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more opportunity, I guess you could say for a four year degree to exist there. Sure. So it's but, easy. but there's only two for, or yeah, that's what I mean. There's surveying. only two in Florida out of, but, you know. But the way the law, it used to be written, it had to be a geomatics degree or related. Yep. Now, uh, at some point, I think in the mid-2000s, it changed it to a four-year degree. So now, which means technically it could be basket weaving. Oh, so I yeah. could get my civil degree but and still yeah. get a PLS in Florida. But you have, yes, but you have to have, I believe it's like 21 or 24 SUR yep. level credit hours. Mm -hmm. And what the University of Florida has done is they've actually created a certificate that you can take all those and they're all online. So you can get those hours. And once you have that certificate, you know, you can apply the, uh, to the board. Okay. Oh, so, so Kent can get his basket weaving degree, yes. go online, get, get his credits and then apply that way. Unfortunately, I wish it was a, a at least a minimum of a bachelor of science degree as opposed yeah. to a BA degree. Oh but, yeah. yeah. Right. Because it could be business, and don't get me wrong, uh, there's a lot of talented guys and a lot of guys who've got a degree in business administration yep. and then end up getting become licensed surveyors, and they're great. But just overall, I wish that's kind of the way it was going. Yeah. Mm. If you had to write the requirements, like a national requirement, what would it look like? Mm, you know, I think NCEES is doing a great job at that. They're really kind of pushing that. Um, I do think nationally um, it should be a four-year degree. Um that obviously brings the challenge of how much talent's coming in sure. and, and that could even make it worse for what's coming in. And I think, unfortunately the survey industry, uh, we really screwed up. And of course this is before my time technically, but like in the nineties when GIS was coming out yep. and we lost a whole generation, maybe two or three generations to the yep. GIS industry. And it's really sad because a lot of those guys have the brains and the manpower to, mm -hmm. to do what we do. Yep. Instead of just playing with keyboards all the time. Yeah. And we're still losing people to GIS. And we still are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every college has a GIS program, essentially. Agreed. And, uh, you know, you know, we're not in that position, unfortunately. We're going the other, <laughs> other side for surveying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. There's no doubt about it. But the good thing is, you know, I mean, it doesn't, not everybody wants to be a, a, a licensed surveyor. Mm -hmm. And there is huge opportunity for the huge. other folks that just I don't want to say just, but they want to, you know, be the best party chief possible Agreed. or the best survey CAD technician possible. And there's like the CST program and things like that, that are, are great, you know, allows you to get some credentials. Um, so it's a very interesting profession from that perspective. I agree 100%. And I can see that, you know, currently like the office I'm, I'm in, we have five licensed surveyors. And again, out of 1,945 in the state, that you could see that in five years or 10 years, that's just not going to be economically doable. Mm. And 
But maybe what we do is we bring in like a person with a business admin degree and the office manager is taking care of a lot of those functions. Sure. Because the office manager is not doing surveying 100%. You know, there's a lot of business stuff he's taking care of that's really not part of surveying. Mm -hmm. And that may marginalize us from the technical aspect, right? Because if you're like, oh, you're so valuable, you can only do right analyzing traverses and sure. adjustments and all that other stuff. So that could be another challenge. But but that also gives opportunity from the field standpoint, from that great party chief who is like, man, every time you have a tough job, like he's the guy. But at a certain point, you know, field work is manual and we need to be able to try to bring those people inside mm-hmm. into a new position. They can become project managers. Sure. And I have a feeling that's going to happen and then they're going to be paid very closer to what PLSs are being paid now. Yep. Yeah. And I think on that note, you know, the face of surveying is changing. Without a doubt. And, you know, uh, you and I are of the older generation of surveyors at this point sure. in our career. And, you know, we have a choice to make. Do you accept and uh, adapt to these changes or do you become very stubborn and push them away and just go about your, your business, you know? Adapt or die. Adapt or die. No question. Grow or die. Yep. Yep, hundred uh, percent. So yeah. speaking of that, um, let's get into a little bit about uh, you know you mentioned technology, and I'm really curious and how we talk all the time about all mm-hmm. the fancy toys and all the things you can do with them. But I'm really curious how that applies to the federal space, and how the you know the newer, fancier gadgets help you it, or does it be more attractive in that in that space? Yes and no. I mean, right now there's obviously the uh, UAVs, UASs, that's not happening on a on a DOD reservation. Right. I mean, right. it's um, even if you have, you know, a blue listed UAV or um, even the Corps of Engineers, they have a UAV group that's got a list of a preliminarily approved uh, units, which is way bigger than the blue list. But getting the permission and to fly is usually not worth it. Sure. It'd be way easier, way easier to hire Wolpert or some big firm to fly for you. It, it, that's, that's easy. I mean, that's like mm, call the interesting air fly. Yeah. But you know, doing that, but on the other hand, you know, like two years ago, um, there was a fairly large, uh, Marine base in the Southeast. Uh, and we did mobile LIDAR on 12 miles of roads and corridors and did Sioux quality level B without that whole set. Mm-hmm. I think we did over 350,000 linear miles of underground utilities uh, with that. And that actually helped. That would probably brought the cost down on the overall project uh, by two, uh, by a third. It reduced it mm. to, to two thirds. I'm sorry. Of sure. The original. Oh, wow. You know, traditional. And it also speeded up delivery time. Obviously, you know, we went from like a 12 month time period to six months. Interesting. Talk about the importance of collaboration as as a surveyor, you know, because you, like your company, has the capabilities of doing X. Maybe it doesn't have the capabilities that this other company has. Um, talk about the importance of being willing to collaborate, not just with other survey companies, but other professions as well. Oh, definitely. It's 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 a requirement. You, you have to. You have to learn to communicate. You have to talk to your clients. The worst thing I hate is when I get a sheet of paper and says, do this. I'm like, what's the purpose of the survey? What's the project? What are you doing? 
And then I can decide or help them decide what's going to take it to solve your problem mm-hmm. from the survey standpoint, right? Do you really need all these specs that's been regurgitated, yep. you know, for 27 years? Or can I maybe bring in mobile LiDAR and, and we can do something like that? Or can we, but anyway, collaborating with the client, the engineer, the ultimate client who's yep. going to use it is imperative. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, then there's others in the profession. We don't have aerial uh, capability. So I have a couple of teaming partners I love working with. Yep. And we collaborate with them. Yeah. You have to be willing to do so because surveyors historically are so like stubborn and set in their ways and that type thing, you know, you got to get out of that box you have in to. order to be successful. You have to. For sure. And I think the industry is changing because cause the older group are going, yep. right? Because we're like at 100% in Florida, like 60 and older. Yeah. And then with the younger guys coming up, it's like, I can do that. I don't care. Let's do it. Why can't we do it? Yes. Yes. That's huge. I mean, the the younger generation that, that's coming in, they're so, they're like sponges. And they learn Agreed. so fast, you know. Um, and you have to empower them. Otherwise, you're going to lose them. Agreed 100%. Yeah. Sure. So what are you guys doing uh, on that end? What are you guys doing to, you know, what's, uh, you know, for, for your company, what do you do to keep the, the younger guys engaged or? I think part of it's our company culture, which is amazing. Um, yeah, talk about that a little bit. So it's, it's very open, very communicative. Um, it's just a great, more or less, most of the time relaxed. I mean, obviously you got sure. projects that come up and everything, but the com- company culture is amazing. And I re- never really knew what, that meant until I came to join DRMP and really saw that for what it is. And it's very open. We talk about um, like on annual reviews, like where are you going? What's your goal next year, three years, five years down the road? Where do you see yourself? Like we're growing, you know, when you become licensed, you know, do you want to move or do you want to stay here? You want to open an office in Georgia or Tennessee or whatever, or, you know, think long term. Those opportunities are here, mm-hmm. and they're real. Yeah, yeah. Thinking um, exponentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, so what percentage of your job, based on what you said just a second ago, what percentage of your job would you say you commit to educating the client? And in some cases, that client is an internal client. That's a great question. I'm not really sure how to exactly answer that. Yeah. Because it's a, if it's a returning client, most of the education's already been done. You know, part of it's just the networking. You're working with the same person. Um, you know, like, hey, you want a survey like we did before? Or maybe that special job we did three or four times ago. Sure. And that type thing. But that kind of goes back to if they're willing to share what the overall project's about. And then you're, they're, they say, I want this. Like recently, I've got uh, a proposal that said they wanted elevations on a- actual elevations on all the utilities. So uh, I'm sorry, what? They wanted <laughs> elevations. Are you going to expose all those utilities? <laughs> exactly. And the way it was written, the way I read it, is okay. I need to go out and do a quality level A, you know, every however far right and do it. But I think what they wanted was a 3D line connecting all the gravity systems yeah. you know yeah because they specifically mentioned water and sewer but then they say utilities and to me that's everything mm-hmm. 
Yep. And uh, in the DOD space, by the way, communications is not a utility. Interesting. It's what not. is it? It's a strategic communication infrastructure. Oh. Yeah. Signals. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Because I see that, and I've worked for like some larger companies where, you know, multidiscipline firm or whatever. And as a surveyor, you know, you get this scope. And you look at the scope, just like you said, and you start questioning things. It's like, uh, it appears that whoever wrote this scope probably doesn't exactly, they know what they want, but they don't know how to put it in words or they cut and paste it or mm-hmm. something like that. Agreed. And it just doesn't make sense, right? Like there is an easier way to achieve what I think they're getting at. And a lot of times like surveyors, there's a buffer between the surveyor and the client. Whereas if you would have the opportunity to go right to the client to clarify it, it can make everybody's world so much better. But Agreed. correct me if I'm wrong, that there's less opportunity for that when you're in the federal space than anywhere else, right? I mean, yes. you can't necessarily go to the right. Army Corps and say, oh, the way you wrote this. True. So yeah. so probably 95% of the work I, I do right now, that's going to be changing. But right now, I'm dealing with an engineer who has the prime contract. Yep. Okay. And right. So all communication goes through him. So I'll write up a list of questions. I even have a phone call with him trying to verbally communicate what's going on. He sends it to the Navy or whoever, mm-hmm. and it comes back, and we answer that. Um, but a lot of the work I do for, say, the Corps of Engineers, depending on what district, but most of the districts, like when you have a survey contract for them, you're actually dealing with a surveyor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Most of those time, not every time, but almost every time, yeah. you're, d- you're dealing with a licensed surveyor. So when you almost every time you get a scope from them, it's – Typically, good. very clear. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very clear. Okay. Like, okay, I'm, Rob, you really asking for this? Yep. I said, okay, you got it. Yep. Yeah. And that's the ideal scenario when you're working with a surveyor and that surveyor provided the scope. You know, that's that's the ideal scenario. What do you think, you know, all the talk about artificial intelligence and that type thing, what role do you see that playing in the profession of surveying? I see that helping... I, I see that helping immediately short term, probably in the CAD drafting side hmm. and some of the other maybe analysis, like simple analysis. I mean, we're not going to get rid of a person. There's no way AI right. is going to make a decision on a boundary corner. Um, but that being said, it's just more technology to help us out. I mean, in the last 50 years, where have we gone? You know, we've gone from in some old fashioned crews 50 years ago, they had eight man crews. Sure. Pull on the chain, head chainman, tail chainman, and everything else in between. Yep. And now some firms have one or two main crews. And depending on how that their business model is set up, we can potentially go to one man pretty easy with the way technology, some of the technology is coming. Personally, I don't like that because of safety factors. Multiple reasons. Sure, well, yeah. There's multiple reasons. But even that, uh, I think a two-man crew is probably you know 250% more effective, more productive productive than yep. one man crew by far. Yep. Yeah. In addition to, and I know this is something you're passionate about, you know, the lack of mentoring when you have a one person crew out there, there is no, there's mentoring. no mentoring happening. There's no training. There's no training. Cause exactly. that's one of the things you should be doing is training your replacement. Yep. hundred percent. Totally agree with that. Totally agree. Um, what'd you have? Mm, no, keep going. Oh, you're, you're right about to say something. <laughs> um, so let's talk about mentoring a little bit. I th- again, I'm not sure how old you are, but 55, 56. Okay. So we 
you know, we're at in the same generation as it pertains to surveying, and we both know the value of mentoring. Agreed. And no doubt there is value in a formal education, whether it be two-year degree, four-year degree, what have you. But how do you put a value on the importance of mentoring? You put the value because that's basically, like I said, train your replacement, mm-hmm. right? When you're mentoring and you make a connection to that person and you help bring them along both career-wise and whatever else wisdom you can help provide or advice or whatever, that's just, you have to. I, I mean, I feel like I'm almost speechless here, but, you know, I mean, it's just something that you we have to do as a profession. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to become more exclusive than what we are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have to open our arms and say, come on in. Hey, hey, it's Monday afternoon. Let's go down and have a bar, uh, have a beer here. Yep. And let's talk about it. You know, are you are you happy here? If not, why aren't you happy? Yeah. You know, where do you see your profession going? And that doesn't actually have to be just your um, professional-minded staff, right? Sure. It can also be your, your, your field techs and stuff like that. Yep. That party chief who's 22 is like, man, this guy's sharp. Yeah. You know, where's he going to be in, in five years? Yeah. You know, and it turns out two years later, he's your number one party chief. He's 24. Sure. And you've got guys that have been here 20 years and he's running circles around him. Yep. Yep. He had good mentoring. Exactly. In that case. And I look at like <clears throat> your path to licensure is very different than mine. Um, whereas mine was based on experience. Mm-hmm. My degree was in architecture. So, you know, and then I went back and got, you know, X amount of credits in surveying in order to take certain exams. But my path um, included a very, very influential mentor for the mm-hmm. first probably 10 years of my career mm-hmm. that set me on the path to su- success. You know, when you're going the route that you did, one could argue that mentoring isn't as important because you went right into a four-year degree. And then when you got out, um, did you have a mentor? Like, could yeah, my is first, there, my is there first somebody boss. that comes to mind? Yeah, my yeah. first boss, Ray Niles, outstanding mentor. Yeah. I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. And he's a small business, and he's very successful with yeah. what he does. He supports his people. Um, when, like, the economy had a big turn down in 08, yep. you know, he never laid anybody off. And um, he helped support the field guys through some very tough weeks for mm-hmm. all of us. And, you know, not everybody can afford to do that. But it also, I mean, we all know there's contracts coming, regar- regardless of what happened there, mm. because, you know, you've got another job coming in, in a month. If you lay your crew off, they're going to go to your neighbor or whatever. But, you know, sure. but you've got to. So I guess oh, back to the question. Mentoring for me just out of high, a college yeah. is just as important as anyone else. Sure. You know, I don't think it matters how you got in the profession. Mentoring can also be part of keeping someone in the profession. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So what do you think? What's something that comes to mind that maybe you learned from your mentor that you didn't learn in college? I think the biggest thing and it's the most simplest thing is before you call someone and say, your survey didn't close, how many times did you check it? Mm. How many times did you check yourself to make sure you didn't screw up before you call another surveyor Right. Or right. you call an engineer, whoever. Right. And say your product is wrong. And 
just to sort of stop and really think and double check and double check and double check and then maybe have someone else check. Right. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah. It's I, so easy. Sure. To just say do something once. Go. Oh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and whether it's someone across the office or across town. Yep. You know it doesn't matter. But yeah. before you say anything, make sure you are right. Or make any assumptions. Yes. Oh my gosh. Exactly. As a surveyor, as soon as you make an assumption, it will come back to bite you every <laughs> single time. Like I swear to God. It especially happens. when along the line that assumption was made. Like yeah, exactly. half the time you forget that you made an assumption very early, early on, yeah. and everything else has been based on that one, and right. you're completely blind to it. Yep. Yep. That's a tough thing to live with sometimes oh yeah yeah i mean this is a profession well same thing in yours as well oh sure i mean you get humbled very quickly well it's just it, it's all about perspective and it, when you like you were saying you make that phone call of like no no this is all wrong because of this this and this and this and yeah. then then that person says well i actually didn't start from that point of view i started from over here and for us especially in civil engineering it's all about like your references and your specifications and what the yeah. you know what is the established test method well i think it's this rule book and like well i use a different rule book mm -hmm. yeah. and as soon as they're using a different rule book yeah. everything's off for sure like, everything's different and everything i think i know is right is not actually what i thought it was yeah yep absolutely if you could like if you could build the prototypical surveyor, what would that look like? What would the skill set be? What would the personality traits be? Uh, you know, that's tough because our industry, the entire A&E industry, we're all introverts. And, you know, there's the old joke. Um, how do you tell uh, an extrovert engineer? He's looking at your shoes instead of his own. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an oldie and a goodie. But surveying is the same way. The biggest uh, awesome. differences are the engineering group is like 20 times the size of surveying. Yeah. So, you know, if you had the same percent of two or three or four that are extroverts yeah. that they get out and talk and, and, and go to your state legislature and, and whatever yeah. and get out and communicate to the public, there's so many more of them than there are for surveying. Yeah. So I guess the ideal guy is our gal, lady, whatever, uh, person, um, is open to new ideas can communicate and is willing to learn. We yep. can, get, we can do everything. Else. You can work we with can, that, right? I, right. I can work with that. Yeah. Um, but why is it so I, challenging to find those people? Well, I, I think we <laughs> underestimate how many people can communicate and are willing to learn. You think so? Oh yeah. I, so I, what do you, what do you mean by that? I think that it, one, you're talking about some. Uh, you're you're needing uh, you're needing a, a, a trait in a person for this career to be able to communicate. And one selling point you said it when you started is to be outside and not have to deal with anybody. Mm -hmm. So you <laughs> this business attracts people that don't want to communicate with others, but you that's it's true. a core function of what you need to do. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll tell you what, you can learn to communicate real quick when a, sh uh, a farmer shows up with a shotgun. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. When a knock on the door. Would go a long yep, way. Yeah, yeah, yep. and that's one thing we. I mean, we we do it a lot too. When you're drilling holes in somebody's yeah. farmland, or you're digging a hole, or even just walking around looking at something, mm -hmm. it a five minute conversation with a smile on your face of, "Hey, I'm here. This is what I'm doing," and then, "Oh, no problem. Don't right. say anything. 
Shotgun in the face. Right. Like that's <laughs> that's, that's yeah. how it goes. <laughs> exactly. And when I say community, I'm not asking you to be able to stand up in front of a crowd of 50 sure. people. No. Yeah. Or 100 people. Yeah. That, that's a different level, and, and you can mm-hmm. grow into that if you so choose. Yeah. Right? But answering the phone, creating an email, or just, whatever. Just, call, just, just picking call. up the phone and oh. using the talky part instead of the tappy part looks Agreed. It is a huge, huge difference. Yes. You're in the minority, <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> but that's something I, I'm, I'm glad we're bringing up because it's kind of a generational thing, you know? It's like the younger generation communicates completely differently than yeah. our generation, Agreed. you know? Agreed. But, you know, like probably 90% of the guys that get in, get turned into the state board for whatever issue, mm. if, they return their, true. if they return their client's phone call, yep. mm-hmm. it would have probably saved everybody a lot of headache. Yep. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. But that's inherent with surveyors, unfortunately. It is, and everybody and Maybe that's like an older generational surveyor thing, you know? Like maybe the younger generation of surveyors is better about that. Let's hope. No, 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 no. Uh, I think it's more <laughs> of a human being thing. You think so? But, but he, like Sean's an engineer, and he's de- depending on a product from us, yeah. right? So he answers to somebody who may be answering to somebody who may be answering to the client. If I go, Sean... Look, hey, I'm sorry, I'm running behind. Yeah, you know that hurricane that came through slowed us down. Then my guy got COVID. No lost, excuses. Lost power at his house. <laughs> right? Hey, I, I got pushed back two weeks. Yeah. Sean's not happy, but he knows what's happening. Yeah. And then he can pass it on, and mm-hmm. he might have enough time in his schedule. Not that I want him to, but he might have enough time to work with that where it doesn't interrupt the client. It yeah. may. It, it may screw everything up because yeah. if he has to go before the city council for permits or applications, whatever, you know, delaying a whole month, no developer mm. wants that. But communicate. If you let them know. If you let him know. They can react accordingly. Yes. They can yeah. go, oh, we're not filing in October. Okay, we'll file in November. Yeah. Easier said than done, unfortunately. You know, sometimes you just got to rip the Band-Aid off and <laughs> share the bad news. But yes, communicate. Right? Yeah, whether it's good news, bad news. Well, it goes back to what we are talking about with having a mentor and a young person needs somebody to show them or give them the confidence that the world is not going to end from that phone call. And if anything, all ha- most of the emotions you're feeling, you're nervous, you're scared, all those things are much less after you finish that phone call. It's, not only hey, that. Get it off my chest. It's out there. I'm not caring anymore. And usually everybody's more happy for it. Sure. And you probably kept the client. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If, you, right. if you deliver late and complain yep. and never say anything, and then ask for more money. Yeah, you probably don't have a client anymore. Yeah, the the best clients right. I have are the ones that I have called and given bad news to a lot. Yeah. and that could be even. I mean, this is a good time to talk about it. If you make a mistake, own up to it. Agreed. You know, I mean, it's easy to. Well, I guess the path of least resistance is make in when you when it comes to making a mistake is just you know sweeping it under the rug. Don't hide nobody it. Nobody ever know. Uh-huh. Hopefully, it, hopefully nobody ever checks that type thing. Uh, whereas on on the same. Note, if you bring it to the attention of your client, um, they're going to respect you more for that. Agreed. Especially if you go, never, that was another thing my boss taught me, my first mentor, never bring a problem, bring a solution. Yes. Love that. I don't want to hear a problem. There's problems everywhere. (laughs) Yep. How are we going to solve it? Yep. And go to the person, here's the issue, here's my solution. And depending on whether the person's a client, maybe it's your boss or whatever, yeah. they might have another option for that solution. Or your client may say, okay, I can work with that. 
Yeah. Right. But take a solution. Never a problem. I mean, I, 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 I say this a lot around the office, but uh, being able to communicate that we had a problem and we've, we've, we've come up with some, some way around it, or we've come up with a solution for it is some of the best business development things that you can talk to a client about because they, one, you get some inherent honesty with it. Mm-hmm. They, they know that you're, you're actually be, you know, they, I didn't have to make that phone call. I chose to. So you know about it before you hear it anywhere else. And yep. here's all the things that I'm doing about it. And no matter what, they respect you more for it. Yep. Agreed. Just not being deceitful. I mean, it's yep. so, it sounds so simple, but there is that moment. We've all been there where it's like, yep. uh, okay, I can either just, uh, hopefully this guy won't email me back and then I can, on Monday, <laughs> I can get it and send it to him by the time he sees it. Or I can pick up the phone and call him. Here's what's going on. Here's yeah. what I'm going to do. It here's when you can expect it. And the difference between those two is like this five second decision. Yeah, and if true. you make it one way, it changes the entire dynamic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's pride. I mean, surveyors. Oh yeah. You know, human beings in general are so prideful, and nobody likes to admit you make a mistake. Well, especially when you go back to mentorship. Sometimes when you're mentoring, you, at least I do, I have to remind myself that it's okay for me to be wrong too. Sure, agree because. That person needs to learn 100%. how to deal with it and not just expect everything that I'm telling yeah. them to be 100% accurate. Because yeah. yeah. I can tell you, it's not. In, in some cases, it's okay to let people make mistakes. You know, it Agreed. really is. Agreed. Yeah. Especially yeah. on a project that you can afford it. Yeah. Well, and sure. surveying well, and not, is one of those. Low-level mistakes. Not high-level mistakes. Surveying <laughs> is one of the least mistake-tolerant businesses that I've been around. Um. Like, you can screw up a lot in a lot of areas, like civil engineering. Like, uh, okay, it's I got a fudge factor here, and I got a factor of safety here, and uh, I calculated that wrong. Yeah. But this other thing actually governs the design. I mean, surveying. I mean, you really get exposed, and you're you out there because you're the one guy who, yeah. at the end of the day, that point is right there. Yep. And it, it it's not in a three foot circle. It's right there. Yep. Yep. Right or wrong. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, so much of our so much of our job has become, you know, CYA also, you know, especially on the construction side, you know, like I'm not a huge fan of doing construction staking, but man, that's a tough way to make a living because when a mistake's made on a construction site, everyone's going to point to the surveyor. And if the surveyor is not in position to be able to justify whatever they did, they're going to be put in a really tough position. And a lot of, a lot of companies, like a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of crew chiefs like they're not even taking field notes anymore that type thing um digital notes yes digital yeah. notes yes yeah if, yeah the, the even the construction industry is changing i mean there's still a lot of it where you know the guy walks out and rolls the plans on the hood and yeah. takes out a scale and starts doing stuff and i'm like why why because yeah. everybody wants digital plans now mm-hmm. right and even going to machine control. So a lot of times oh, you're yeah. taking the design survey, mm-hmm. right? And then mm-hmm. you're taking Sean's um, design surface. And they're putting it in there and they're grading to that or whatever, right? Make sure you double check that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times, depending on how up to speed the engineer was or his office, right? Yeah. I've had them come back, um, the developer come back and say, hey, I've got these paper set of plans. Can you create a surface for me for mm. my for um, um, my equipment? My, um, oh yeah, yeah, machine for control. Machine control. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of happening, and, and in some ways, mm-hmm. 
that takes less off the stake out, right? I yep. mean, you still have to stake curb and gutter, but for rough grade, for rough grade, or what's good, yeah, yeah. But personally, like you, I don't mm-hmm. like construction stake out, and when I do do it, almost all the calculations are done in the office. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But then you still got those guys out in the field that call them button pushers, call them what you will. Those guys, they still have to look at the plans. You know, when they're putting a stake in the ground, they have to compare that calced point to the plans, use some common sense, and... Look at the line of flag stakes for all the grades. If kind something of level, doesn't look... If it doesn't look right, it's probably not. Question it, you know? Agreed. Question the answers. Who, who said that? Uh, Dennis Rose. Oh, yeah. He yeah, said, yeah. question all the answers. And, uh, yeah, it's true, you know? Question everything. Agreed. Um, you know, it's just... Again... That goes back to mentoring. You know, I mean, I think if, especially from like a, a party or a crew chief, I don't like to call them party chiefs, I like to call them a crew chief. Uh, you know, at, at that level, there is a ton of mentoring that needs to go on to Agreed. make them really good at their job. You know, Agreed. what they're doing, they're not learning in a classroom. They're learning on the job. Right. But my yeah. success yeah. is from their success. Oh, you were, yeah. That's where the money's made or it lost. Is. Or lost. Yes. Or lost. Mm-hmm. But a lot of yeah. times I don't think they fully appreciate what they're bringing to the team. Yeah. Right. Because they are our eyes and ears. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. Hey, Kent, before we go any further, tell me about Topo dot. Well, before we get to that, let me mention that Topo dot has been a loyal contributor to the geoholics since day one. And as a surveyor, you know, the importance of maintaining quality control through your process. Uh, I just found out recently there is actually more than 6,000 users all over the world that trust TopoDot software to accurately extract topographic features from point clouds. Man, that's really cool. Like, uh, how can I find out more information? Well, first of all, I think all of our listeners should give them a call to get a demo on one of their very own projects and be ready to be blown away by their automatic modeling tools. Do they have a website? They do. For more information, simply go to topodot.com. Yeah. So, so let's talk about a little bit. Um, I'm just curious, some of the projects are different. You know, you mentioned you did what, 15 or whatever miles of, uh, like, uh, <clears throat> to the extent that you can. Mm-hmm. I know, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be too specific, especially in what you're doing, but what are some of the coolest or the most rewarding projects you've been a part of that uh, you can share with us? So um, I've done quite a bit of work down at Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay for the Navy. It's cool. Uh, a lot of neat stuff down there. Uh, a lot of improvements. Recently, we were down there about a year and a half ago, doing a uh, about a seventy-acre survey and about four miles of route for a new hospital. Mm. So they're going to put a clinic and a uh, a hospital clinic and a dental clinic um, there, and so that was kind of neat. And interestingly, uh, part of the the DoD specs is you have to have two separate communication lines going to the hospital, like totally separate, independent. Right. So why is to, that? Uh, I think, um, I don't know. Hmm. I can't say that. I guess they're afraid if one line gets cut, they can still communicate okay. for whatever reason. Now, now, what they're doing on the medical side that requires it, I don't know. But, you know, there's more and more telemedicine and stuff like that. Now, that's pure speculation. Who knows? But that's just their standard scope. So I had to do like two route surveys, right? So they could design and plan in new comm lines hmm. to get there. And that was a pretty big one. And, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but I've been down there about a dozen times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting and unique place. It's very arid, <laughs> that side of the bay. Yeah, that side of the island is very arid. It's not lush and jungle or... 
not yeah. tropical? Absolutely <laughs> not. Um, last time I was down there was for that project, and I'm walking around, and the grass is so brown and gray hmm. that when you step on it, it, like, turns to ash. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What's, um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job? Wow, that's a tough question. There's so many little things that kind of come together, but, you know, I love my profession. And there's not been a day where I wake up and say, I don't want to go to work. I really love my profession. I think it's just, it suits me and, and I suit it. Um, I don't know, did I answer your question? Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, wanting to get up in the morning and go to work, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, this morning was a little bit of a struggle. <laughs> well, you know, just because you're not feeling well from the night before. Uh, but no, I mean, the team I work with and the profession, it's just it's just great. There's a lot of synergy going on. Sure. Back to That's part awesome. Of, part of it's the comp- company culture, mm. and part of it's just, you know, I love what I do. Yeah. Talk about the importance of um, diversification when it comes to surveying. Um, and, I, and I think that's part of like, if you, if you mean like di- diversifying your client base or diversifying you know, individuals, individuals. Yeah. So, okay. Historic cultural background diversification or men and women or men and women. Okay. Yeah. The more the merrier. Come on in. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I tend to find, um, I think women surveyors are better. Because they're more detail oriented than most guys. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Completely agree. Yep. Okay. So, and that's awesome. And I've never come behind a woman surveyor that I've felt like, oh crap. Yeah. You know, I don't know a woman surveyor who has a bad reputation. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. But, um, welcome. You know, yeah. come on in. Yep. And it's unfortunate. Um, I'm sure you guys here in Arizona are are seeing the same thing. Sure. It's just a very small. Percentage. Mm-hmm. I think I know four in Arizona. Yeah, I think we know the same four. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean it's it's sad. It really is. It really there, is. There's probably I'm going to speculate here, but probably fifty to hundred in Florida. Wow. Okay, that's but awesome. We, but we also have the you know the college <laughs> program, which I think helps a lot. Sure. You know, because some of them did start in engineering. Yeah. They had to take Plumbob. They were taking civil, and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, this is interesting. It's a whole different world. Yeah. Or whatever. So there's some of that. Or there's some of them started in GIS and they took a survey class and are like, oh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I keep going back to the four-year degree thing. Like I wish Arizona had a four-year surveying degree because it would be so interesting to see what the landscape from a surveying profession perspective would look like if we did. It'd be very different. It'd be very different. I tell people all the time, my dog could get registered in arizona you're, re- you're really downplaying your uh your profession no uh, i mean i just <laughs> i i like my i think a happy medium is a two-year degree is, is I, there, I do okay that's what that's what i think the solution is but that's just that's just my perspective after talking to you know it's a good start people for the last four years you know i mean there's definitely the people on the four-year degree side there's the the traditionalist i guess on the no degree side and everybody has a very valid argument either way you know but you still have to you still have to get the lsit right you still have to Pass of course, of course. And your dog yeah, yeah, could not pass the test. Of course. Um, you have to have the FS and yeah. the PS yeah. Yeah. exams. Yeah, no, my dog couldn't. Well, it depends which one. So <laughs> what 
<laughs> Does the Arizona Society of Professional Land Surveyors have a position on that? Oh, God, it's been a battle it's for as long as I've been in the state. Yeah. And Florida came together, and yeah. we had a program first, and then we came together and we lobbied um, our government, and, yeah. and it happened. Mm. And it was a long time, but we had like an eight or 10 year transition. Wow. To give everybody a chance. Yeah. Right. To yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is, it's a process in is. order to make it happen. Um, what about uh, continuing education? I'm sure you guys have, I mean, that's obviously a requirement. For Florida, yes. Yeah. 24 credits. Like every two years or something? Yes, every yeah. two years. And yeah. But now I'm, I'm str- struggling to sort of deal with my multi-state license. Like I'm right. licensed in eight states in the Virgin yeah. Islands. And then I've been approved to take the Washington, D.C. exam and Pennsylvania. Yeah. And waiting to hear back from West Virginia. Oh, wow. But um, so now I've got to keep up with all of those. Yeah. And of course, some That's of those. Lot. It is. Luckily, a lot of them can be used in multiple jurisdictions. Yep. Um, the way Florida is currently set up is the education provider has to be pre-approved by the board. <laughs> so it's hard to bring in an out-of-state, like when I went to Trimble Dimensions last year, yeah. and I, I sat in like five or six sure. technical classes, and they gave me a... a the certificate at the end for right. the PDHs right. or right. whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So those won't apply to Florida. I mean, well... It's not that's easily. frustrating. I can... Apply yeah. to the board and give them what the class was, yeah. and then they can decide at some point. Sure, mm-hmm. but then other states are like, "Oh, sure, that works, no yeah. problem. Yeah, that works good." And then some states have a um, like a professional ethics course yep. that's specifically for that state. So I may have to take like four different ethics courses. Yep, for four different states. Yeah, and essentially probably covering the same thing more or less. Yeah. See, that's frustrating to me. And I know we're going backwards because this is how we started this conversation. But, you know, if there was just a way for there to be a national requirement. Well, that's what NTES is supposed to be. They're trying to, to help yeah. them with that. And right. they're supposed to be unifying that. Yeah. But, because but ideally you would be certified through there and then let each state decide their requirements work for us or their requirements plus X for yeah. this state. And at least some come with some minimum consistency. But yeah. right now, I mean, it's probably easier for me because I have a s- surveying degree, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's clear cut. Here's your yeah. background, here's mm-hmm. your training, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then so when I apply to another state and I've already got my NCES record, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, yep. I have okay. one. Yeah. Okay. So I can have that record sent and mm-hmm. then they go, okay, here's your application fee. Sit and take this two hour exam. Right. And that's typically what it's been so far. Sure. Um, there's one state I don't plan on taking because there's a two hour survey exam and then a four hour drainage exam. Indiana? Uh, Maryland. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, in some states in North Carolina, uh, which I'm licensed in, a surveyor can do some minor drainage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. okay. Yeah. Right. Minor drainage. But I got enough questions, right? That I got my license, but <laughs> right. I will yeah. absolutely never, ever do any drainage whatsoever, wherever, you know. Yeah. Worst case is I call somebody else up and say, I need this done. Right. But some states historically, that's part of what surveying is, period. Yep. And getting them to change it. Georgia had that. And then Georgia started to see a decline in surveyors because they required two college-level courses for drainage or hydrology or whatever it is, right? And then... So they dropped that requirement. So initially now the requirement is 
um, you take your first surveying exam or your two-hour exam. If you pass that and you get your number, you can now reapply to the board for the hydrology side. Interesting. So if you still want to do yeah. the drainage, because some surveyors are like, I do drainage. Da, da, da. That's fine if that's what you want to do. Sure. But that goes back to practice what you're a professional at. Right. What you know. I'm so glad you brought that up. <clears throat> Talk about that. The importance of surveyors staying in their lane. It's so important because there's so many different portions of surveying now. I mean, whether I consider GIS part of the geospatial industry sure. mean, under a survey umbrella. Totally I feel agree. like geomatics is this huge umbrella yep. that has about 20 different little subcultures under it, right? And that falls under it. But that doesn't mean that if you've done land development for 20 years, you can't decide like, man, I'm, I'm, I want to learn photogrammetry. That doesn't mean you can't figure out how to be a photogrammetrist yeah. and get your CP license and start doing photogrammetry. Doesn't mean you're, you have to do boundary surveys your entire career. Yeah. Our industry is too broad, but don't do something you can't do. Bingo. Don't do something you can't prove you can know how to do. Well, that goes back to the I, my always point of being a professional and being a licensed professional is more about knowing what you can't do than knowing what mm. you can't do. I mean, that's kind of why they give it to you is right. you. Yeah. We think that you know enough to know what you're good at and more importantly, what you can't do. Yep. Agreed. But the engineers have it down because you have a PE license, period. Mm -hmm. It doesn't that's say that he can't go do mechanical or a chemical or petroleum or whatever, right? You know what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. Don't get caught doing anything else. And actually, when you look at, because I, I, I do this, I read all the disciplinary actions from the Board of Technical Registration. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it's, it's signed off on this, had no experience or no business doing it. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's yep. most of the time. Well, actually, most of the time is my license expired. I didn't know about it. Here's a $200 fee and a slap on the wrist. But after that, it's... That's BS. Yeah. <laughs> after that, yeah. it's it's you signed this document. You do not have the experience in what that is. You cannot do that again. Sure. Yeah, what would you think about that idea? Because actually, I think, it was, I think it was Tim Birch that brought it up. You know Tim with NSPS? I bet he uh, answered twice. He, he's, been on the, uh, he's been on the show before, and... He threw it out there that kind of that idea you're talking about, like there is a, like a PLS license that allows you to do certain things as it pertains to boundary, what have you. And then you get like a specialization in Alta surveys or a specialization certificate or license in, you know, whatever, you know, BLM surveys or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could throw the CFEDs out there, but you know, that model is an interesting concept when you think about it. It is. I just don't want to go too specialized. Or well, you too said there's 20 umbrellas under, under sure. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. geospatial. Yeah, yeah. Right. So at least 20. Yeah. I mean, between, you know, the new LIDAR and, and what kind of LIDAR is it? And, right. Know, you can do sub-disciplines under that and all the other stuff. Basically, do what, you're, what you know, mm -hmm. what, you're, what, what you're the professional of. Do that. I think I would love to see a multi-state licensure and I'm licensed in like three colonial states. Okay. And then five PLSS states. And there's not really any difference between them. I mean, at this point, you know, maybe if, if we were 
you know, back in 1901 doing some stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the challenges that I've seen in Georgia, the legal description is, you know, run along the Smith property and then the Johnson property yeah. and the Peterson property. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, if you do a title search, those people haven't been around for 150 years. So trying to find those old deeds that far back. Sure. Um, that's sort of the challenge. But like when I took my South Carolina exam, they treated you like a professional. There wasn't like any colonial stuff. <laughs> it was all, you know, like here's our professional standards. Here's the laws and rules. They're really big on uh, the geodetic side, uh, on the coordinate system. Uh, I've been sorry, not just the um, the old, I believe it's the 1986 or 88 document that came out where NGS defined, you know, like each state plane coordinate system Yeah. Uh, for NAD 83, yep. right? So I guess it's been from 83. But anyway, that portion in there, flip through all 150 pages and find the South Carolina portion. You're going to be tested on that. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What do you think is the most important role that uh, a surveyor plays? There's so many different variations that could be that. Obviously, the product we provide, okay, well, it depends on where we're going. We're we going boundary, we're we going topo, right? So on the, on the boundary side, that goes back to the basis of our society, of our um, um, capitalist society, yep. right? Land ownership. Yep. People own it. They're willing to either hold it or develop it or build it or live on it or whatever, right? That is everything. And then the other side is uh, and be able to give them a document with confidence of what they have, right? So there's that part of it. But there's a whole different caveat off to the side that we hadn't even touched on, like mortgage surveys and stuff like that. Sure. Mm. But no, I, I like where you're going with this. And then there's like sort of the topographic side and everything that goes with that, whether it's hydrographic or LIDAR or whatever. It's the features, the shape of the earth and stuff. That's to help Sean do what Sean does best, right? And so he can... What, what do you do best, Sean? It's a, it's a growing list. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. But, but that's the basis. That right there is the basis for all future development yeah. or improvement or whatever you want to call it. I mean, not necessarily a shopping mall, right? But maybe you're regrading so you don't flood your neighbor's property or whatever. Sure. Yep. But there's so many different variations. But that's the foundation of that whole different product side. Yep. No, it's a great answer. Great answer. So what are you excited about? What are you yeah. excited about in the next few years? Where where are the professions going? Where your where your career's going? What uh other than your great company culture, what are you excited yeah. about coming coming in and waking up in the morning? Um, I'm excited about some of the new opportunities. Like I said, we've, we've won a new contract um, um, with the Navy um, as a sub to a, an outstanding engineering firm. And then um, we should be negotiating, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, with with the Corps on another contract very soon. And then um, some other pursuits. Um, it's just kind of interesting. Um, our firm also has a, a contract with uh, a, uh, AFCAC, which is the Air Force Civil Engineering Command. That's a engineering contract, but you know we've already looked at projects in Island of Midway, not Midway. Um, yeah, Midway. No, sorry, not Midway. Anyway, sorry. Uh, some island out in the middle of the Pacific, middle of nowhere, and then um, uh, Philippines. So there's some opportunities for international travel. Cool. Um, you know, like I said, we've been to Gitmo. You have to have a passport when you go. Yeah. You're not allowed to go on the Cuba side. Um, I've had a crew like to Ascension Island in the South Atlantic. 
It's a small island, probably about four or 5,000 acres, <laughs> halfway between um, Brazil and South America. I mean, mm. South America and Africa. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. So, um, but just some of the aspects of that and the travel, it's very interesting. Like each project is different. You know, whether you're doing federal or not, you know, every project's different. And that's one amazing thing I love about surveying. Yep. Um, there can be similarities, but, you know, those you just learn and grow and keep going. But different stuff. Um, I see a huge future for this for us right now. I see um, salaries going up. I definitely see that. Um, I mean, we're hiring um, uh, graduates from UF and FAU and uh, in the, like, around 60 us yeah you know and that's obviously changing as demand so it's um starting salaries i guess i should say is on par with what civil engineers are in florida yeah, yeah. and Good. other states so there's a huge potential um for there so i i, I think um, i think it's a good career choice mm. what do you think about and it's like a catchphrase it's talked about all the time now reality capture mm-hmm. like, and where that fits into you know the the umbrella of serving I think surveyors are a little behind the the ball on that. Um, I think because a lot of it's some of the stuff is black box and it's easy to create. A lot of firms are jumping in. Yeah. Uh, that being said, um, I think the place to create the data that makes it happen is still surveying, right? And um, whether you're doing it for an architect, um, so he can examine a building or have a historical a snapshot of the building for whatever reason, like the architect of the Capitol has done all the D.C. buildings there in Washington, D.C., or it's just help for new development. But I think part of it is the survey industry. There's a lot of expensive components that go into that. There are a lot of technology, whether it's computers or, or the special scanners or whatever. But we have to jump into it. Are we going to lose it like we lost GIS? Mm. Totally agree. Totally agree. But it's, it's an essential part of our profession. I really believe that. Yep. I, no, I agree. I mean, it, it depends how you define surveying, right? Because does it fall under the definition of surveying? Or is it a gray area? I think acquiring the data yeah. and bringing that data in, that is clearly surveying. Manipulating the data, not necessarily. Sure. Because if the architect or engineer or whoever is trying to create or draw something, that becomes either a design thing or a artistic thing. But the acquisition of the data in and of itself is what surveyors do. Yep. And setting the control yeah, for all of that. But that goes to if, uh, if, you know, if I'm not going to manipulate the data, but I'm going to use it mm-hmm. to for measurements or anything else, mm-hmm. then it... I don't see a, as big of a difference. I don't see that big of a gray area. It's the acquisition of the data is just the acquisition. The It's the presentation. Reality capture is just the presentation. I mean, surveyors have been doing 3D since the first time we put a rock on top of another rock. Right. Hmm. Well yep. said. Yep. Uh, what else? Yeah. You want to hit them with your... Uh well, first of all, anything else you want to get out there? We've, we've hit on a lot of different things here. And the best episodes are when I create a uh, an agenda mm-hmm. and we don't ask any of the questions. <laughs> Those are the best episodes. Right. Because well, <laughs> you know the conversation has been great. Yeah. I think that every person in our industry, 
uh, in any professional industry, you need to be active in your society, whether it's Great the point. state society or the national society. Uh, start local and work your way up. Um, you're the only people out there who are going to protect your society. And I'm going to quote Theodore uh, Roosevelt. Um, you know, he said, every man uh, owes some of his time to the upbuilding of the profession for which he belongs. Hmm. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, surveyors are the experts on surveying. And if you're out, out there telling people about it, whether it's your legislature or your client, you know, you're going to get left behind. Yep. Mm. Well said. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so we ask everyone this at the end of the show. Uh-oh. Uh, do you have a mantra that you live by? Mm. Um, seems pretty silly or whatever, but do no harm. Mm. Simple enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easier said than done. It's oh, easier said than done. Without a doubt. Uh, you can't always not make anybody mad, that's for sure. That's that. not the same as do no harm. But um, I think it's just a good mantra to have. No, I know. I like it a lot, actually. The, the uh, Typically, the simpler, the better when it comes yeah. to a mantra. Absolutely. If it's like a paragraph, forget about it. Right. <laughs> it's too late then. You've already lost. <laughs> You've already lost. <laughs> I'm taking a nap while you Oh, man. Well, hey, Randy, this has been great. Absolutely. Yeah. This Randy, is yeah. so yeah, awesome. It's yeah, it's our, it was the first time we did this uh, this contest, obviously, because if you don't hit 2,000 every day. Sure. We'll, we'll do it again when we hit 3,000, which... Oh is going to be approaching before not too long. Um, so this is cool. This is cool. I'm glad this worked out. Agreed. Glad you're able to come in here in studio and join us. So yeah. much fun. Agreed. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Good, good. You guys are doing good. Day. Safe oh, travels, yeah, man. For sure. Thanks. Safe travels. Adding value and making friends. We are. Once again, uh, if anyone likes to be a guest on a future show or has any topical ideas, shoot us an email at info at thegeologics.com. Boston Rock and Roll Band, available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, be active in your society. Super important. Pay it forward. Do no harm. Most importantly, be safe and update.